0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Waste360's Nothing Wasted podcast. On every episode, we invite the most interesting people in waste, recycling, and organics to sit down with us and chat candidly about their thoughts, their work, this unique industry, and so much more. So thanks for listening and enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. This is Liz Bothwell from Waste360 with Susan Robinson, Federal Public Affairs Director at Waste Management. Welcome, Susan, and thank you for being on the show. Great. So you've had a pretty story career. Could you please tell us about your background and how you got into this fabulous industry?
1: Certainly wasn't something I anticipated when I went to college, but started out working for an environmental organization. And I uh, thought that I would do more water quality sort of issues and um, spent some time on the water and really enjoyed that. Um, and then, though, as part of that work with the Washington Environmental Council, it was during the time when the city of Seattle was looking at what they were going to do with their waste in the long run. And I participated on uh, a couple of committees um, and was smitten by it, really found it very interesting and ultimately ended up working for the city of Seattle for several years. From there, my career um, really um, moved towards a, a nice um, rounding of different topics from recycling. I marketed recyclables and did some market studies for recycling um, and did some compost work for a consulting company as well. And ultimately landed in uh, at Waste Management, working with municipal customers for the most part for the first decade of my career. And then over the last several years, have been doing public affairs, which more recently actually has evolved to a new position at Waste Management, where I'm leading our system. Sustainability team. So we're actually now it's, um, I'm a senior director of sustainability and policy for waste management, which has just been a really fun transition and kind of, I think, pulling together those 30 years uh, in my career to be able to now really shape the sustainability culture and effort of at, at
0: waste management. So it's pretty exciting. Oh, that is exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. So you seem to have a gift for mentoring. Your name is mentioned by so many young professionals and others who have learned from you over the years. Do you make a conscious effort to be an engaged mentor? You know, I I will say
1: I don't, I, I won't say I make a conscious effort, but I, to engage, but I will say I do make a conscious effort to um, respond. If that makes sense, I am yes. just so thrilled at some of the young professionals who are so passionate about um, the environment and about making a difference and finding ways to connect. Um, what they see we as a company or as an industry are doing. And so um, just have been so grateful for the opportunity to think about what the future holds, and help um, if I can. You know, anything I can do to um, uh, to to mentor and offer uh, thoughts for folks. I, you know, I always say they're way smarter than I am. So if I can listen to them, and if there's anything just in my years of experience that I can offer, then great. And that can if it can be helpful, I'm so
0: happy to be able to do that. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. And I think whether you realize it or not, it's going to be a big part of your legacy. So. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Thank you. <laughs> now, do you think the industry is becoming more diverse? I mean, anecdotally, it looks that way, like you mentioned, with all the smart young professionals coming in. And thankfully, to people, women like you have, who have really spearheaded uh, women in waste. What What are your thoughts on the diversity and what the industry looks like now, as opposed to when you first began?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. So when I start, I think about when I first started at waste management. Boy, did it look different than it does today. Um, and I will also say, I feel like there's always been a conscious effort to um, be inclusive um, at the company, and I I have been so grateful for that. I've never taken that for granted. That that inclusive that being that inclusivity has really um, I think, conscious, very conscious. I've had some wonderful um, mentors at waste management, quite frankly, and both between women and men. Um, We had a senior vice president for several years who made a point to really um, help women grow at the company. He was just a a wonderful mentor to many of us. And I I, um, always look for the opportunity to thank him for what he's done, as well as women who've come before me. So I would say, especially as our industry has become more diverse in what we do, we also are seeing more diversity in who is participating, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. We no longer are in the waste industry. We are in a materials management industry. And if you think about all the different places that gives us um, the ability to engage in different interests and different skill sets from energy, um, I mean, that's a really interesting one in and of itself. You know, organics, um, technology, a huge investments in technology and things that we're doing, um, and and the concepts of sustainability and really the evolution of those concepts of sustainability as they include more of the social aspects of what we do, that naturally then, I think, lends itself to being more inclusive of a broader skill set, a broader interest, broader type of folks at the company and
0: in the industry. Right. That's true. Now, it seems you're working on that transformation from like the disposal to materials management within waste management. So how how are you doing that from your perspective and, and where do you see that headed? You
1: know, we actually started down this path well over a decade ago. We looked at what was happening with the tons going to landfills, and we looked and we paid attention and listened to our customers, and we heard loud and clear and started to see in some parts of the country that there was a change taking place. And so we've been very conscious and very deliberate about investing in technologies and programs and research um, to be able to anticipate that change as to what's company. So I've been fortunate to be able to be part of that dialogue now for over a decade. And I, what's I've learned over that decade is we are a reflection of our customers and our customers across the country are very, very different from different pockets of the country, different um, areas, even within states, um, there's a lot of variability. And so one of the things that we always are balancing is what are our customers ready for? What are they looking for? What are the services that are technically available to our customers? And how can we help uh, really meet the needs of our customers and meet them where they are looking to the future?
0: hmm That's a great perspective. And could you tell me a little bit more about Waste Management's Spectrum model? I know one of our 40 Under 40 winners was involved in that with you. So I'd love to yes. hear more about that. Yes. Rob Hallenbeck is really a gem and he's just, we always say he's the smartest guy
1: at Waste Management he's pretty dang smart. So he's <laughs> he's really devoted. We worked together to kind of create the, the model. Um, several years ago, our CEO came to us and he basically said, you know, I'm kind of curious the um, there 's a lot of uh, stress on recycling right now i 'd love to know you know we can certainly recycle anything I'll, you know Give us enough money and we can we can recycle anything what 's the spectrum of choices that we have and what 's the cost for that spectrum of choices of how we manage material and what 's the actual impact and, and really are we looking at it in the right perspective? So we basically took the whole u s waste stream and we looked at the services we provide from You know, if we were to just collect everything and put it in the landfill, what's the cost and what's the environmental impact? All the way through residential collection of recyclables, commercial collection of recyclables, yard waste, food waste, more processing. What if we then put in a lot of expensive technologies to gasify that material and see what kind of energy we get out of it and then what's left over after that? And we really found Um, a couple of, I think, key points. One, that sweet spot, which is if we recycle the right things, which is your traditional paper cans, bottles, cardboard, we get about 80% of the environmental impact and really at the lowest cost overall. From there, we start to add more materials that add incremental um, environmental benefit, but sometimes that cost goes up really high. So it, it was a really interesting kind of aha moment for me that said, hmm, maybe we, and it really, I have to say it really did change a lot of how I do my job which is to think more about the environmental impacts of what we're doing and not just take for granted that what we've been doing for the last 30 years is the best way to do it for the next 30 years but let's use that data and that science and let's make decisions um, that really will have the best overall environmental
0: impact. That's great and do you feel like you've been able to do that use that data and that science to move forward? I, you know, I feel like we are, but boy is it slow. I, you know,
1: I have to say, um, uh, human behavior is really hard. It's hard to change. You know, I, I always think people like me with gray hair—we kind of need to retire in many <laughs> ways, so that we kind of allow for this, like new, you know, this new young folks that we've talked about. We talked about earlier to come in and think differently about how we manage material because I think we sometimes are so ingrained in twenty and thirty years versus doing it one way. It's very hard to shift our thinking. So I've been, uh, you know, I've been surprised at that. I will. Say though, I think with current market conditions the way they are, we're almost being forced to step back and to think differently. And Mm -hmm. it's not all bad. Sometimes, as you know, we we say a lot, maybe overused. Crisis creates opportunity, but you know, as we are in this really tough. Um, market condition, I do think it is forcing us to look at everything a little bit differently. And indeed, we're finding, I don't know that it's consciously, but we are find some, finding some communities that are really having to you know, reflect upon what is the right decision for us as we look forward.
0: Right. And, and speaking of that, the current market conditions, I, like I know we at Waste360 have looked to you for your insights amid the China ban woes. And I always loved how optimistic you've been um, and how you've kept it in perspective. And you've always taken the long view and and said things like, you know, the markets may look different in a few years, but if we rethink recycling, we can make them resilient. So you've always been more solutions oriented. How do you feel now that we're living in this new reality? I mean, from what you just said, it it seems like you're still optimistic and that some of that change is happening Albeit slowly. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We actually just had this conversation yesterday because markets have continued to
1: fall. Um, Cardboard in some parts of the country is 85% of the value of what it was a couple years ago. The commodity pricing is the lowest it's been in a decade. And so we, you know, we talked Uh internally, like, what, okay, how do we feel about this? And again, I'm going to really revisit the, um, emphasis on the long run, that mm-hmm. although this is a long, prolo- a prolonged um, market downturn, we're investing probably more than we've ever invested in our programs and our um, infrastructure. And we are really looking to the long run. We've got uh, $110 million worth of investment. Last year, Probably that much this year and anticipated for next year Um, markets you know we can see where the mills are building and expanding and we'll see we can see where demands going to start pull its way pulling its way through again for paper so we are maintaining that optimism we're moving material even at a cost we're moving material to market and um, by golly we're you know we're staying optimistic and we're gonna just um, forge ahead with um, new facilities we're building new three new New facilities this year, um, you know, and really looking to the future of a successful recycling program. It does, though, you know, make us, I think, much more pragmatic um, sure. about what we do and how we do it. And I think a little bit more um, firm about um, making sure that we're, recy- we're recycling the right things and that we're really focusing on that quality aspect of recycling.
0: Uh-huh. That makes sense. So do you think... MRFs are changing to reflect today's waste stream?
1: I think they're changing a lot. In fact, I think a couple of things are happening. I think MRFs are being certainly a lot more careful about what they accept on the inbound stream and they're developing more protocols and procedures for Mm -hmm. ensuring that it's a cleaner stream coming in the door. I think a lot of MRFs are also investing in more technology to be able to... um, Become more efficient, our costs have just skyrocketed as we've had to increase our quality out the back end. So, to do that, we're investing in a lot more technologies to become more efficient and do a better job of producing a higher quality material at the back end. And all of that happens as we continue to see a change in that waste stream. And it's funny, you know, we started talking about it a couple of years, the changing waste stream, and boy, are we seeing it. You know, it's really a lot of shifts. Even though we still see about 80% of the material that we manage is paper Um, and our single streamers probably about 55% of the material that we manage is paper. So there's still a lot of paper in the stream and that's fundamentally the biggest, you know, the biggest um, commodity that we're handling, but we have a lot more technology to be able to make sure that we're getting all the right materials in the right places and, and, and making sure that it's clean for our end markets.
0: Great. Now, do you think a a dual stream is in our future? So we get
1: asked that question a lot and I, I keep revisiting it because I do know that um, there are some communities that have decided to either stay with a dual stream or even revert to a dual stream. Mm -hmm. But I, I would say, for a couple of reasons, we do not anticipate much of a change in programs. One, the huge amount of investments in single stream programs between trucks and processing capacity. And one of the reasons is because it's a lot less expensive. Over 60% of the cost of collection, of the cost is in the collection of overall recycling programs. Um, And and, um, so single stream keeps that cost down by making the trucks more efficient on the route. And kind of part and parcel with that is they require less drivers and we have a driver shortage. Uh-huh. And so that actually that concept of more labor is something that really I think at the end of the day will have a huge, play a huge role. And then I think finally, well, there's kind of two more things. There's a lot of reasons here. Um, safety, uh, dual, uh, single stream collection is much more safe for our customers and for our drivers and that we can have automated collection. Um, and then for the customer perspective, our customers like it. They love it. It's convenient. They recycle More people recycle and they recycle more. And I think as we focus more on education around quality, we'll mm-hmm. start to see that we can overcome some of the challenges of, you know, the quality of material in single stream programs and take much more advantage of all those benefits that you see with single stream.
0: I think that's true, too. So do you think policy is keeping up with today's consumer behavior around recycling and waste?
1: I think we're trying to catch up, quite frankly. Uh I wouldn't say keeping up. I think we're working hard to use this opportunity to catch up. I, you know, I, th- I think about it a lot and policies, everything in our business and sure. whether it's, you know, creating the demand for recyclables, whether it's creating the economic drivers for recycling, um, which ultimately then you can create the kind of social, economic investment in um, in our recycling programs. I think we have a huge opportunity to catch up, and in some parts of the country, I think that's driven a complete culture change around how we consider not just recycling, but more around the environment. And then we have some places that I think we really have a lot of opportunity to do a lot
0: more. True. And you've spent a lot of time interfacing with local governments and implementing new municipal programs. What do you think is the biggest challenge that you find in, in bringing the public and private sector together successfully?
1: I mean, I, I when I when I think about local governments, I think you know there's a lot of issues that local politicians have to deal with. We're just one recycling is one recycling waste management issues are one issue, and sometimes I think we need to do a better job of recognizing kind of the suite of pressures that many local communities have. So I, I you know I kind of have two thoughts on that. Um, I think. In some places, perhaps state policy creating umbrella policies uh, will help. I'll, I'll use the word "give cover" to mm-hmm. that; those local elected officials um, to help them implement programs and perhaps, um, you know, kind of rise above some of the local pressure, the competing local pressures that we have. At the same time, I'll say I just I think we need to recognize that there are a lot of things out there competing for folks' attention, Mm -hmm. and we need to be very mindful of that and meet people where they are, do the best, help them to do the best that they can, and be realistic about our expectations
0: at the same time. Mm -hmm. I like that, the being realistic, and also Mm -hmm. being sympathetic and empathetic about everyone else's time, because like Mm -hmm. you said, everyone's vying for some piece of their attention. So,
1: Yeah, yeah, and there's sometimes... We can get pretty deep into the weeds on, you know, how to recycle right and what to recycle. And, you know, if we can't keep it straight, how in the world can we expect folks who have a million other things on their mind to even try to keep it straight? So it's, it, it's a challenge, I think, that we, we, we will probably always struggle with. I don't think there's a simple, easy answer to that.
0: True. And, and same applies for education of residents and consumers, right, in terms of keeping it simple because yes. it's, it's the easiest way to change behavior and be consistent. Yes, and that's certainly
1: an area of focus that we've had is, you know, we have our Recycle Off and Recycle Right education program and have spent a lot of time um, and, and research making sure that we are understanding what those best ways are to communicate simply to
0: our customers. So a little change of pace. You said uh, a circular economy is is aspirational. Could you tell me more about your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I I um I think about the circular economy in much the way I think about zero waste. And I also think about circular economy as a um partnership or a complement to life cycle thinking. So I'm a big fan of life cycle thinking, the concept of doing using science, using what, you know, we know the emissions analysis is for different activities, materials, and products, and trying to use that to shape how we manage material. So my kind of philosophy (laughs) I've been evolving towards is if we can not all of a sudden always think about the circular economy, because I'm not sure that's going to drive us to make the right, if, if all you're thinking about is circularity, you may not make decisions that actually drive the best environmental results but if we use life cycle thinking to create programs and processes that have the have the best environmental results pretty soon we start to evolve towards the circular economy. So I see um, much more of an incremental evolutionary effort to get us where we're going, as opposed to trying to look at the end run and not contemplate really what those steps are along the way. So it may be um, just terminology. I'm not sure. But mm-hmm. I think I, I do worry that circularity sounds so good. It's such a great soundbite and that's such a great visual. Sure. Um, you know, life is more complicated than that. And I think we need to be much, I think, if we've learned nothing over the last 30 years, is that, you know, we need to be more thoughtful about the details of what we're doing in order to drive us towards that best environmental solution. Um, Because in some cases, we may not have made decisions that really ultimately were, you know, um, the best in the short run. Um, But we can actually use our knowledge now to kind of work our way towards those better environmental solutions.
0: Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So how has technology changed waste and recycling from your season vantage point and and the last 30 years of, of your career? We,
1: I, I think there are some places where we can look towards. Well, at a broader scale, I'll say the first thing: technology for our fleet. You think about historically, uh-huh. one of our biggest impacts is our fleet. Right, mm-hmm. we're on the trucks on road in neighborhoods and communities every single day across the country, and um, we now have changed to a natural gas fleet. About by the end of this year, sixty percent of all of our route trucks will be running on um, compressed natural gas and we're also using renewable natural gas in those trucks so those are getting close to being near being a near zero emissions fleet for us as we move towards renewable natural gas in our trucks so while you know that's one piece of the story that's a pretty exciting evolution of a big part of the services that we provide so there's an example in 10 years time really 10 years time which we started that process in the early 90s but really about 10 years ago made that commitment to that fleet and then as we move towards renewable natural gas that's pretty exciting then what we're doing is we're doing more with the fleet and we're using more cameras on trucks both Mm -hmm. for safety reasons and for customer communication. And one of the things I get excited about is how do we use technology, let's say on a truck, to be able to change behavior with our customers for recycling. Now there's where, you know, I've always said for the time I've worked for waste management is we have really tried to find equipment to solve human behavior problems or issues, challenges. And sometimes it just takes more um, change of behavior. You can't do it all with equipment or technology. But here we are with an opportunity to change behavior using technology. If we use cameras on trucks to help identify where we have contamination and we can communicate with customers to help them have immediate feedback to be able to improve the quality of their material, that's a win-win all the way around. We can be more efficient in how we have that communication and we can help drive that behavior change. So I think that's one simple place that I'm seeing an enormous opportunity to use that evolution of technology to really drive a lot of positive change in our industry.
0: Oh, definitely. And I didn't even realize those numbers. That's, that's outstanding. 60% yeah. and wow. Yeah, it's Amazing. pretty cool.
1: Yeah, and then we've certainly, you know, at the recycling facilities themselves, you see a lot of technology evolution. So when I first started, I was so excited about an eddy current that separated aluminum. I mean, that was a pretty big deal. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then over time, we put in optical sorters. And so we've got now, you know, um, you know, many, many optical sorters used for many different kinds of materials. They're they're probably one of the staple. Uh, what, it's probably one of the staple technologies in our facilities. And now as we use Um, robots, robotics. We have, um, I think, several that we're trying to see which one. We've got, I think, four that are in use right now. So that's exciting. And then we're actually using um, um, AI at one of our landfills. We have a pilot where we're actually um, um, using AI for the equipment on the face of the landfill. So um, it's a really great pilot that is one that we think has some great opportunities. So a lot of different places for us to really find ways to optimize um, the services that we provide.
0: Wow. This is an exciting time to be in the industry and, and you've really seen it evolve. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, it is exciting. You're right. And it, yeah, it, it actually, again, you know, it's while it's challenging, it's really force. Sometimes, you know, when things are challenging or when things are going really well, you can be complacent. And I think that um, for us, this is an opportunity to really go to the next step, step up go to the next step take advantage of the the attention and the focus and really drive towards better solutions down the road
0: definitely you've previously said that extended producer responsibility discussions in the US tend to include really broad sweeping statements. Now, do you still feel that way or do you think there's now a deeper understanding of, of what EPR is and what it isn't?
1: I think there, there's certainly a lot more dialogue around it over the uh-huh. last probably a couple of years. And I think I'm interested in that it's getting a little bit more granular, I would say. So I would suggest, so I I look at producer responsibility more broadly around producers taking responsibility, and we see a lot of that happening in the United States. I mean, that's, it's pretty impressive the amount of energy that um, producers and manufacturers and brands are putting into trying to really make their products and their packages a lot better. As it comes to extended producer responsibility, there's a lot of activity in hard to handle materials, and we're seeing you know, certainly an elevated discussion around some sorts of packaging as well. Uh So, you know, one of the things we've talked about is, you know, what does it look like in the U.S.? Does it need to look like it like it does in other countries? And how can we have a a broader dialogue around um, extended producer responsibility and make sure that folks really understand what it is? Mm -hmm. Because honestly, when you look at extended producer responsibility, it 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 the the results aren't in many ways, you know, it's, there's a whole suite of policies that one can use to drive behaviors. And, and for example, I look at where I live in the Pacific Northwest, we've got the policies in place that really make, you know, many areas as good as any place in the world. Um, it doesn't require extended producer responsibility. It's just a set of policies that drive that behavior. So I think we are becoming um, more um, comprehensive in our discussions to make sure that we're evaluating um, really what do you give up, what do you gain, what are the pros and the cons, and you know uh, let's be a little let's be smart about having that dialogue.
0: Sure, that makes sense. So what else do you think we should be paying attention to in the world of waste, recycling, and organics? I think we need
1: to be, I guess, paying attention to a couple of things. One is demand, the demand Uh for material. And that applies to not only recyclables, but it applies to organics. And I worry that we don't think um, carefully enough about creating the sufficient demand to pull material through it creates that manufacturing of that feedstock for other materials that we still we, we are still having a hard time adjusting from thinking of a supply side focus and a diversion focus. So, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things I um have been thinking about is. 30 years ago, when we, f- we started curbside programs, we had a lot of recycling before then, right? Recycling is as old as time, but we recycled to create feedstocks to make other things. And it was done for a very deliberate reason. And it only happened when you were gonna use a material to make something. When we shifted to curbside recycling programs, we really, to get people to participate, we changed the narrative to a diversion focus away from a feedstock for a product focus and we lost sight of why we're recycling. So I think we have an opportunity now to, I hope, change that narrative back to recycling as a manufacturing feedstock. organics as a feedstock for something else it's not about a diversion to get your numbers up it's Mm -hmm. about the environmental benefits of offsetting the use of virgin resources and so you know by by doing that then we can focus more on reduction and we can focus on making sure that we're recycling the right things well so that we truly have a feedstock for new materials if we aren't making things into new products, we've wasted a lot of time and energy for something that really has no environmental ba- value. And, and I don't think we've done a good enough job yet of recognizing um, how important that demand side pull is and that manufacturing process really is.
0: Oh, what a great point. It, it's so true. That would be great to get back to that mindset mm-hmm. because you're right, that narrative certainly has changed. Yes, it really has. It really has. And it's it's it, it, unfortunately,
1: it changed pretty deeply. And so it's a big swing and it's a very tough one then to, you know, switch that pendulum back and be a little more thoughtful on how we really consider um, uh, 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 kind of the approach that we take to how we manage material.
0: Right. So what advice would you give to professionals considering entering our industry?
1: Oh, it's an exciting one.
0: Um, come in with
1: open eyes and come in with a, a, um, a mind that's open to thinking about things really differently. Don't don't get too ingrained in those age-old paradigms that we've had. Come in and challenge us folks with gray hair. Um, challenge <laughs> us to do things differently and to think beyond recycling and think to the environment. I think if I could say nothing else, it's don't Think of it as a you know, myopic way, but think about really why we're doing this. The many opportunities we have to think differently in the future and to do things differently. The way we're managing materials today, sure as heck, better look different in 30 years. It looks different than it did 30 years ago. And you know, it needs to continue to evolve. The materials that we're using. And how we live is going to change dramatically, which means we can't do things the same way looking to the future. We need to really look ahead and um, recognize um, that we need to be open and willing to embrace technology um, embrace education and outreach and different kinds of thinking to meet our customers where they are and to make that change for the environment in the future. I love
0: that. Great advice. So Susan, what keeps you busy outside of work? You're in beautiful Seattle. I know
1: I am in beautiful Seattle. I'm a big hiker and I happen to have my family here this um, weekend They and my grandson, my baby grandson here on oh. the East Coast. So I get to play and be grandma for the weekend, which is pretty exciting
0: <laughs> oh that's so. enjoy every minute of that thank you <laughs> <laughs> i am <laughs> i can tell <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> so how can our listeners hear more from you
1: Well, I, you know, hopefully opportunities like this will continue to arise. And I certainly am always happy to respond when people reach out to me. Um, And I think there are just, you know, so many great opportunities across the country um, to do good things and to think differently and to look to the future. And remember that this is a cycle. Stay in it for the long run. We're going to come out, be smart in how we do it. Um, Let's be smart with our programs and um, uh, if, and we'll work through uh, to, and, and really keep the long run in mind, the long-term in mind.
0: Oh, that's great. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time and, and your insights. Our listeners are going to love hearing this. Great. Thank you so much.